here's my question. Do you remember any time that Jesus had some kind of perfume put? Oh, you already got your hand up. Wow. Okay. You remember. it on his feet and then um, she used her hair to dry his feet and her tears and so um, she was giving a gift of something that's very expensive and can only be used once and she wanted her sins forgiven so um, I think that's it and it was I'm not sure <laughs> Did you want to preach today? I mean, <laughs> you really did well. That was good. She even found the spot where they put it. And that lady's name was Mary. Do you remember any other time that Jesus got perfume? Do you remember? Um, I remember when, um, when Jesus... I think he was a baby, and then these um, people, who, they brought merchandise and perfume. So we're kind of focusing today on the Purs family, and uh, that's, that's four. I had three. He just, he, he got one that I hadn't even included. Way to go. Yeah, one wonders, why was he given a gift of myrrh? Well, maybe as a baby there was a prophetic statement about his death because that's what myrrh was used for. Okay, four. Make me look stupid. Go ahead. You guys are, no, no. Okay. Can you think of, there's still two more. Um, when they when Jesus died, they they put spices on him to uh, um, to pr- make him smell good when they put him in the grave. Um, Did you get it? Yeah. You got it. Do you know how much they put on? My Bible says seventy-five pounds. What? Picture it. 75 pounds. This was not for a normal person. That was for a king. For a king, they splurged because people didn't have that kind of money. You didn't have that kind of money to spend that much money. Nicodemus did. He was the teacher of Israel, says in John 3. He was known by everybody, Nicodemus. Was he a coward? Not even close. 75 pounds poured on Jesus. Jesus smelled good. And I think you were right. I, we wonder why, do they, why did they put that on him? Well, they took visits sometimes to the tombs. And after a couple days, how long was it when they went to Lazarus' tomb? How long was it before Jesus went there? And how was he smelling? He stinketh. That's right. Four days was enough. So it probably took more than four days to to get rid of the odor. The Bible says when that woman, Mary, poured it on, the whole room was filled with her fragrance. That was one pint. She poured out a pint on Jesus. Now, we got three. There's one more. Some teachers think that it is the same one. But it says in John that that happened, that you were talking about, Hannah, happened six days before. It says in Mark 14, turn in your Bibles, and I've got Bibles out here. I want everybody to have a Bible. Uh, Tim, Abe. Would you see that everybody gets access to a Bible? Karen looked at my notes. 
Karen has veto power. She's got a lot of power. She looks at my notes, and if she says, you're not going to say that. Okay, I won't. She looked at my notes, and she said, this is not a sermon. This is a Bible study. And she's right. We're doing a Bible study. It's not a sermon. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to teach this morning. And then I'm going to have you divide up into three groups. And I'm going to give you three applications. It's going to come late. It's going to get a little technical. I love it. I love what I'm giving you today. If you don't, don't blame it on Karen. She warned me. (laughs) So, some think that that it was just one time that that happened because it happened in Bethany at somebody's home. But one happened two days before, as we read in Mark, in Mark chapter 14. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only in two days. It was six days, according to John, that Mary, the named woman, Mary was named, here she's not named, Mary is always named when when you get Mary, we know her. They all knew her, and she was named. This woman in Mark 14 was not named. Now I'm preaching just for a moment. Kids, i got one more question for you. Here's what I think was going on with those two anointings. I, I never read. I, I read commentaries on why, why they did it. It, didn't, it said something to do with his burial. I think the father was saying to Jesus, I've got you covered. Because Jesus was human and divine. In his humanity, he may have been concerned about his burial. No one was thinking about the burial. No one. And for a Jew, it was despicable not to have a burial. Who didn't have a burial? Do you remember anybody that didn't have a burial? Oh, yeah, he went to heaven. But those who died, Jezebel died and the birds ate her. You only wish that on your worst enemies. David wished it on Goliath. He said, I'll cut off your head and I'll feed you to the birds. In other words, they'll pick your body and tell you you're you're no more. And so here's Jesus. No one's thinking about his burial because no one's thinking death. And so God moved on two women to anoint him. And what did Jesus say? She has done a beautiful thing. Now, why did the disciples complain? I might have complained. You might have complained. One pint. Oh, my. He just put that on Jesus. Oh, my. That's thousands. We could have given it to the poor. They were probably thinking we could have gone out to dinner and had a retreat. <laughs> we could have given it to the poor. Oh, how, how spiritual can you get? Judas. Father saying, I've got you covered, Jesus. If no one else is thinking about it, I'm thinking about it. In fact, I'm going to fulfill prophecy in your, in your, in your burial. Jesus is thinking about his burial. So here's my next question. This is a tough one. What happened when Jesus died? And what happened when Jesus arose? The same thing. It's only recorded in one of the Gospels, but it happened when he died, and it happened when he rose. Anybody want to? Think is hard. I'll give you ten seconds, and if you can't come up with it, I'll see if anybody else... Anybody know? It happened when he died, and it happened just as he rose. Pardon? Pardon? I just said 10, 9, 8, 7. Oh, oh, you're helping me count. Okay. (laughs) 3, 2, 1, okay. Okay, adults, what happened? Earthquake. Earthquake. Only in Matthew. Turn to Matthew. I want you to notice something, what this earthquake did to people. Matthew 27, verse 34. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake. Anybody ever seen an earthquake? Anybody ever been been in a big one? 
California has earthquakes. I was standing at the gas station two blocks from my house, and the, the earth started to move underneath me. I looked at my watch, and I counted 17 seconds. It was moving. That was an earthquake. That was about a six, I'd say. A seven is 21 times stronger than a six. Anybody ever been in a seven? Okay, we got some people. Anyone ever been in an eight? Okay, this one was big enough, listen to it, that saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. The centurion and the other soldiers, they were terrified by the earthquake and exclaimed. It wasn't just the centurion. It was all of them that exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now, chapter 28, listen to this, kids. There was a violent earthquake. Is that a four? Is that a six? Seven? I think you're right. I think a violent earthquake is probably an eight. It's an interesting word in the Greek, and I, I could uh, get my Greek friends here. It's the word seismos. Is that what you use to talk about an earthquake? Seismos. That's from, and we get the word seismograph, which, which registers, it calculates the, the uh, impact. Uh, it measures earth, earthquakes or anything like that moving in the earth. And it says it was a seismos megos. What does that mean? It's the big one. It's a mega earthquake. This was a mega. There's one other time when that phrase is used in the New Testament. It's used when a man who has a name kind of like mine was in a place that he probably didn't want to be in. And there was an earthquake. Remember? Yeah. Well, try it. They're nailing it. These kids are doing good this morning. Way to go. Hey, good song, by the way. You guys played well. That was very nice. Your mom's got a good voice. She hit the high note on key. He was surprised. Okay. It says in Acts 16, a seismos megas. Here's a bigger. So, so God is making his point at the death. He made his point, and soldiers at least spoke words of affirmation, if not were converted. And then when he rose, he made his point, and some soldiers took off for two reasons. The earthquake, more important, somebody showed up that terrified him. And God's messenger and angel. And, and, and it says they were, size, it used the verb form of seismos. They were shaken. Same word. They felt like an earthquake. Okay, good going, kids. Way to go. You can stay here if you want. You're welcome to go back to your seats. I kind of like kids around, and you look comfortable. But if you'd rather have a softer chair, feel free. Either way. <clears throat> I just want to say thank you. There were people that showed up here this morning. Started coming earlier than normal. We had some good food. Any food left over? Are we going to offer it afterwards? Or? Okay, if, if you didn't get it, or even if you did, like me, I'll probably go up and uh, have uh, round two. So uh, let's say thank you to all who came, especially to Ann, who headed it up. Open your Bibles to Mark. We're just going to go verse by verse here. Mark chapter 14. Good to see you people who I have not seen before, haven't seen in a while. If this is your first time here, we call you a newbie. 
enjoy it because this is your last chance to be a newbie. You're, no, you're, you're not a newbie the next time you come. But you get to be a newbie today, and we don't treat you much different, but you know you're a newbie, so enjoy that. How many of you saw Ronald Reagan's funeral? Spectacular. It was moving. It was incredible. It was planned for months and months in advance. Why? Because people respected, on both sides of the fence, respected Ronald Reagan. And we showed it in how we gave him an honorable funeral. Dignitaries from our nation and from around the world came and paid their respect to a man who couldn't see who was there. Because that's one way to show respect for someone. If you're a Jew, all the more important. Who saw Jesus' funeral? He didn't have one. No one. He didn't have a funeral. He almost didn't have a burial. And for a Jew, you only wished out on your worst enemies. Because Jews are not like Greeks. Greeks say, my spirit's what's important, my body's not important. I reside in my body, but my spirit's really important. Jews don't say that. Jews say, I am my body. That's what you say if you're a Christian. This is my body. This is not a shell. I believe, according to the Apostles' Creed, in the resurrection of the my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. My body is important. But Jesus was thinking about his body, and he was thinking about his burial days before it was happening. And I believe the Father spoke to him and encouraged him because he maybe needed that understanding that things were taken care of. So we're reading in Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 42. Joseph, it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, so as evening approached. Preparation day is just what it says. It's the day when you prepare. What are you preparing for? You're preparing for the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you don't work, so the day of preparation is a day of a lot of work, a lot of business. You've got to get to the store, you go to the store. So there's a lot of activity on the day of preparation. Think about that. Christ died on the day of preparation. Christ died what time in the afternoon? Three o'clock. People had maybe four hours, five hours. The sun rose today at, or the sun went down last night at 8.08, I believe it was. So sunrise is later in the spring, so... You figure at 3 o'clock he died. They've got four or five hours to get things ready. People are hurrying around, getting their stuff done. The highways are not empty. They're empty on the Sabbath. So that has ramifications for Nicodemus and Joseph. We're getting ready. We're getting prepared because things are going to happen. Two groups went to Pilate. One of the groups went to him and asked him to do what? <clears throat> yes, they did then, but now it's earlier. Ask him to do what because of the Sabbath? Pardon? Even before that, this time they asked him to break the legs. Why did they break the legs? Okay, so they die of asphyxiation, very painful way of dying. They couldn't push up, so they break the legs of two thieves. They come to Jesus, his legs, I mean, he's already dead. And so they didn't break his legs, fulfilling three words from Scripture right in the spot. Not one of his bones shall be broken. They shall look on him who has pierced. And in Exodus it says, regarding the, the, the lambs that would be sacrificed, that not one of their bones shall be broken. In other words, you care for this lamb. You don't get a second-rate lamb. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God. Not one of his bones is broken. So who would normally go and ask for the body? Family. If their son happened to have been an insurrectionist, the family would come in concern for the body and ask. So where's the family? Where are the disciples? Where's, where's anybody that's going to come and ask for the body? Because if they don't ask for the body, Romans liked it if bodies stayed. Because it was a main thoroughfare. If you read about the crucifixion, you see people walking by. It says, passers-by mocked him. People are passing by on this main street. The Romans wanted many, as many people to see it as possible. They liked the idea of mocking the Jewish faith and people eaten by the birds, and then if no one comes to pick them up after that, they toss them down here in the south end of town in the Hinnom Valley. The word for valley in Hebrew is geh, gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, which was a, a smoldering trash dump in the south end of town that reminded Jesus of So, as evening approached, that's important because evening is coming when you can't do any work. And if somebody's going to get that body down, there's a time limitation. So we gotta we gotta get moving if something's gonna happen here. So we've got Joseph of Arimathea. Never heard of him before, right? Now we hear of him in all four Gospels, by name. How many can you think of that are named in all four Gospels? Very few people. Family, close friends, Joseph of Arimathea. This meant so much to Jesus that he memorializes what this member of the Sanhedrin does. It says a prominent member of the council. He's a part of the Supreme Court. And it says that he's a prominent member of the council, which means that everybody in Israel knows Joseph. You know the names of some of the members on the Supreme Court. You would know the name of the most prominent member of the Supreme Court, and that's this guy, Joseph. And he's a follower of Jesus. It says in John, he is a secret follower. Of Jesus. He has already seen something about him that defies understanding. It says, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now you know that phrase. You heard it around the Christmas story. Zachariah and Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna. They were people who were waiting for this kingdom. They'd heard about it. They knew in their scriptures that a kingdom was coming where God would reign, and his reign was a reign of righteousness and peace and justice. And they didn't see that anywhere. But they were waiting for it because they knew it was going to happen. Here was Joseph, and he's waiting for this kingdom and believing it's going to come. This is a believing man. Were, they, were the others waiting for the kingdom of God? They were establishing their own. They were builders. Jesus was examined by them as a stone, and they looked at him and they said, we can't use him. They threw him off. He was the stone the builders rejected in their building. They couldn't use him. So they were building their own kingdom. They weren't waiting for the kingdom of God. Joseph was. He was different. Also says that he was rich. Bingo. There's a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. Because it says in Isaiah, 700 years before, it said that he would die with the rich. How's that going to happen? God knows. He had it planned. It said that he had not consented to their death. So either he was not there for the trial, which would have made it illegal. It has to be unanimous if it's, if it's a, a conviction of requiring death. Or he spoke out and said, I, uh, well, he, they didn't get his vote. 
So one way or another, he didn't register his vote. Went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Why does it use the word boldly? Pardon? What do you think is going to happen to Joseph now? He's marked. There is no way he could get that body down into a grave in silence because it's a day of preparation. Something happened to convince him it's time to go public. John says he's a secret follower. Not anymore. <laughs> Courage overtook cowardice. Well, I wouldn't call him a coward even then. But courage trumped whatever reservation he was having. Now, what, what did he see? He was at the cross because he knew when Jesus died. Because when he died, he went to Pilate. So he knew about the death. He knew there was timing issues. What might he have he seen that touched him, that convinced him? Kids, you can answer it if you want, or any, any age group. What might he have seen that changed him from a secret follower to a public follower of Jesus Christ? Pardon? Okay. If he was there, he would have heard, likely heard the centurion and all the soldiers declare that this was the Son of God. Okay. What did he do as the first order of business from the cross? Would Joseph have seen that anywhere else by any other person? Negative. So he, he, he then cares for his mother. He leads a thief to faith and says, you'll be with me today. What's that about? Here's a thief who has such a revelation of Jesus that he's able to say, this man who is dying next to me is a king, and he has a kingdom, and he's going to be in it. Such faith, and Jesus leads him, and Joseph is close enough. They're, the soldiers are sitting locally, or standing, so they're hearing this. And something in his heart says, I can no longer be silent. What about me? What about you? Have I seen enough? that I have to go public, that I have to declare my faith in Jesus Christ. Like we said, it, it would have been good if the family had gone, but I, I don't know how that happened. We know that John was at the cross. So how is it that Joseph went? Perhaps Joseph went to John and said, John, what are your plans for Jesus? Certainly you've got some plans to take care of your master. You've been with him for three years. What are your plans? Mary? Mary was there. John didn't have any answer. And so it may have been on the spot. It may, he may have been thinking about it ahead of time. We don't know. But something rises in his heart of courage. Has that ever happened to you? Where something rises up within, and you just say, I've got to do what I've got to do. It's a threat on my life. He's a marked man. In fact, I don't, we don't hear about him anymore. I wonder if they just put him out. Because they knew. They had to know, and I'll tell you, I'll show you that in a minute. So he decides to go public and ask for the body. It says, Pilate, back to the mark, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Why was he surprised? Anybody in the choir? Anybody, wanna, anybody in the choir? Why was, why was Pilate surprised?
It usually took a long time to die. It could be a couple days. It wasn't a death that, that, uh, that you would die quickly. Six days, six hours is a quick death. It, it's excruciating for us. It's a terrible, long death. But it was a quick death. Jesus didn't die from the wounds. How did he die? Pardon? Getting close. He gave up his life. He surrendered himself. He said, no one takes my life. He gave up his life to death. So Pilate was surprised, and so he's going to go get the, go get the uh, centurion and find out. So here is Antonio's castle. Been there quite a few times. I used to live, I lived for eight months right here on Mount Zion, just outside the gates come around here to Jaffa Gate and walk around in the old city. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you where things are here in a minute here. here. Here is Pilate, most likely. Otherwise, he was in Herod Antipas' uh, palace here. But this is Antonia's castle. You go down into the basement. The reason why I like it so much is that in the, the basement of that, those ruins, you've got a floor which could be the original floor, and there are marks of chariots. Uh, they, they marked it so that they wouldn't skid on the hard, to like tile, but it's a hard stone. And then there are places, and archaeologists have said this, that there are games where the soldiers played on the floor. They played games with each other, mocking games that they played with kings. So it's very likely that this was the place where Jesus was tried when Pilate came. So let's back up and get our bearings. Two days before the Passover would have been Tuesday, where Jesus is anointed. He had been teaching for two days, cleared out the temple on Sunday. On Monday and Tuesday, he's teaching. Tuesday night, he's anointed. Wednesday, it looks like a quiet day. On Thursday, he celebrates with his disciples. Jerusalem swelled. Not, not just the city, but the rounding area swelled because Orthodox Jews, 12 and older, were required to go in three times. This was the most holy of holy times, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Sabbath was called a special Sabbath in John. So it was the most special time of the year. It still is for Jews. They just celebrated their Passover. I was going to the airport, saw the Orthodox Jews in their hats coming out of their time of worship. So, so Jesus celebrates with him, does some teaching, and then walks probably somewhere in here, somewhere in the upper room. Here's the traditional site of, of Caiaphas's house is here, Peter's house, up in the utter upper part of Jerusalem. This is the lower city. We know where the temple is, where it still is. There's one wall that still remains. What do we call it? The Welling Wall is also called the Western Wall. It's on the west end on this side. Huge. Some of you have seen it? Okay. Huge stones. And that's uh, the sacred part for the Jew because it's the only thing that remains. So if, if you go out of the temple, on the, uh, the Golden Gate, the Eastern Gate, you walk out, you go down the Kidron Valley, and up the other side, you're at the Mount of Olives. It's, it's, we, we, Californians wouldn't call it a mountain. We'd call it a hill. But it's, uh, it's the Mount of Olives. It, it goes down uh, on the eastern end. From here, you can look down on the temple. It's the best picture. If you want to get a camera picture, you look down on the Temple Mount. You can see much of the city from the Mount of Olives. So it take, to get from here out and over to the Mount of Olives, it would take at least 45 minutes, 45 minutes an hour. So Jesus has been teaching. He goes out the eastern gate. This is north. He goes out the eastern gate, down the Kidron, up the Mount of Olives. There is a, a place on the Mount of Olives where trees uh, are 2,000 years old or more. And that's the possible site for the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus spent perhaps an hour or so in prayer before a mob of maybe 500 men come and they arrest him, and it's somewhere around 11, 12 midnight, 
where they come back in, and so they walk back in, long walk, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, come back in around midnight, and they're probably up here somewhere, and the trial, the mockery of trials begin. He has five trials, first at Annas, then at Caiaphas, then uh, uh, they're trying to uh, secure a death penalty, and finally by morning, it says that they come up with a verdict of death. And illegally, the high priest tears his garments when Jesus says, I am, because it says in, the, in their scripture, a high priest cannot tear his robe. So a lot of illegal things that were taking place. And then they began to beat him. Jesus didn't get one beating, one scourging. He got three. If you read the passages, was the, pass, was the passion of the Christ overdone? Isaiah 53 says, you, you no longer can recognize him as a human being. He was so disfigured, so marred, that he was beaten by the, the Caiaphas. So they clubbed him. They, they hit his head continually. So he, he got a beating like perhaps another. And then in the morning, it, it says early in the day, they took him to Pilate to secure a death penalty. Apparently, they didn't have the, the authority to, uh, to kill. So they took him to Pilate. And uh, <coughs> Pilate releases Barabbas and condemns an innocent man. He knows he's innocent. And he condemns him to death. And so he, he walks the Via Dolorosa. We're not sure. We're not sure that maybe here, maybe here, but it's just outside the city walls. And so he walks there with the crossbar until he faints and can't carry it anymore. And Simon Cyrene takes it and he carries it. He's at the cross at 9 o'clock and he dies at 3 o'clock, somewhere around there. And so now it's, it's approaching sundown. And he gave the body to Joseph. Next, uh, next passage here. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. So this tells us something about burial practices. Imagine taking down the body. Two of the Gospels say he, they took down the body. I would have thought that they would have had the Romans do that. It says they took down the body. How do you do that? I don't know. Either they put the cross down and then somehow wrenched the body from the nails. Or they took it down, literally, out up on a ladder and somehow extracted the body that was pinned to the cross. Then they removed it. They don't have coffins. They have funeral beers, which are like flat cots. They're carrying him. It's the day of preparation. People are out. And they're taking this body to the tomb where they will wash it. That was the job, washing that body. Battered, bloodied, bruised. Wash it. Then they anoint it, 75 pounds worth doing this in a hurry because they're running out of time. And it wasn't simply that they would break the Sabbath because they didn't know this, but a scripture was going to be fulfilled that he was three days. Jews count any part of a day as a day. So you've got Friday, the day of preparation. You've got Sabbath, Friday night, Saturday night, and you've got Sunday morning. That's three days. So they had to be done, and they didn't even know they had to be done for a better reason than to keep the Sabbath, because prophecy. See, God was behind all this. Incredibly. God was fulfilling multitude of scriptures. This person in control. And so then they wash it. Then they put this ointment, 75 pounds worth of ointment. How would you like that much ointment on your body? If you're dead, it wouldn't matter, would it? And then they wrap it. 
They tear up the linen that he'd purchased. He'd gone to the store. While he was going to the store, Nicodemus was going to the store and getting 75 pounds to, to anoint Jesus. This was going to be an anointing. Then they wrap him. Remember Lazarus? Unbind him. Let him go. So he's wrapped up totally. And then they put him inside. So once you get in there, there's room, there's room to move. You've got to stoop down. It says Peter stooped down and looked in, or John. So they stooped down, and then they get inside. You can move around. When Mary came to the tomb, she looked inside. She saw two angels. It's big enough so that you can move around. And sometimes there are levels of platforms for family members because it was nice if you could be buried with your forefathers. Not Jesus. He's only going to be here a little while anyway. We just need a place for a couple, couple, three days. <laughs> yeah. They didn't embalm. This wasn't embalming. This was anointing. Egyptians embalm. You take out the guts, the innards, the viscera, and then you fill it with cloth and uh, something uh, that will... Uh, will preserve it, some kind of preservative. There are three, uh, it says here, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. There are three groups that saw where he was laid. You tell me who they were. Who knew where Jesus was laid? The ladies knew. Because they were there. They were watching this. They may wonder, what's this Joseph guy doing this for? He's on the Sanhedrin. Is he a friend? I don't know if they talked together, but they might have been suspicious, or they just wanted to know because they were going to come back. It must have been close because it says they didn't have time to do their stuff. So it, it was close by the time they got to him. So they saw the place. They said, okay, we'll be back. Goody got it, got it from the other women. Good their timing was on. So that was one group. What are two other groups that knew? Okay. The soldiers knew because they put a guard. So they knew. They did us a favor. They secured it so that it was impossible for anyone to justify thievery. Thank you, high priest. Although they used the excuse anyway and they paid the guy enough money. I guess it was worth it because they said they paid him a large amount to spread that lie. Who was the third group? This is a tough one. Who was the third group that knew? Okay, he was there, he, he, was, he, he knew, in addition to Joseph and, and Nicodemus, the angels knew where it was. The angels came on Sunday morning, they showed up, rattled the place, which effectively dealt with the, with the guards who were, who were out of there. Okay, just want to give you a three, sorry I went a little longer than normal. I uh, want to give you three words of application. And then I'd, I'd like you just to spin around in, in small groups, maybe three, and just pray this for each other. The Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and is the end. He's also called the firstborn from the dead. No one ever been resurrected never to die again. He, he is the first out of the grave. Lazarus died again. He was raised up, but he wasn't resurrected. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the first. And scripture wants to make sure that we understand that. So it has different places where it says he's the first. He was the first in the womb of Mary. No one had used that womb before. Mary said, he can use my womb. He needed a donkey. And somebody says, well, he's never been used. He can use my donkey. Joseph was in a place where he, he was wondering how he was going to uh, be buried. John says it was near the cross. Hey, that was convenient. They didn't have to carry that thing for two miles. Joseph says, he can use my tomb. A little boy was one boy out of 10,000 that had some food along. That was good planning. Way to go, Mom. 
And that little boy said, he can have my lunch. A woman was so moved by Jesus. May have, may have taken her life savings, we don't know, maybe her dowry, and said, he can have my perfume. It meant so much to Jesus that he memorialized it, and 2,000 years later, we'll st we're still talking about it. Jesus loves receiving gifts from people who say, Jesus, you can have whatever you need. Sometimes Jesus needs a voice, and you can be his voice. And I don't mind saying, Jesus, if you want to use my voice, you can use my voice. Or maybe he needs some money for somebody. And one of you says, well, I've got money. He can use, he can use my money. And that means something to Jesus. You know, it's, it's not where he just says, yeah, you owed it to me anyway. He appreciates it. He appreciates that woman. Is there something that you can give to Jesus where he can say, thank you? Second thing, burial is a part of our theology. It's, it's not just something nice to do to a Jew. We say in the Apostles' Creed, he was crucified, died, and Paul takes that and says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised again by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, his death is our death, right? His burial is my burial. How do I know I'm dead? I've been baptized. That was my death. You can say I'm not dead to sin because I can prove it by this. And I can say I've got a baptismal certificate that says I'm dead because I've been buried. And that means I am dead to sin. Sin can't touch me. Now, you, you might say different. You say, well, I, it touches me a lot. Say it if you want. I'd rather say what the scripture says. Do you not no. It's not do you not think. Do you not know? You don't bury people who are alive. You bury dead people. I've been buried. How about you? I'm dead to sin. I'm going to give you the third thing, and then we're going to pray. But first, I want to say the Apostles' Creed together. I want you to stand. I used to say this every week. I'd like to start saying it again. You'll, 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 the note, do we have that? Andy? I'll give you the third thing while he's, he's getting it on there. <clears throat> the third thing is that the most, are you with me? Stick with me. The most uncontrolling person in the universe is God. And I could, I'll prove it to you if you want me to some other time. The most person who is in control is God. When Jesus said some hard things, people left and he didn't try to go after him. He said to his disciples, are you going to go too? He had no desire to compel them. He had no, uh, he was going to pull rank on them. He never did that. They were compelled by their own longing to follow someone who had that much love. That's, that's how controlling God is. And yet, this whole passage, I was moved at how much God showed himself in control in the willful activity of saved and unsaved people. God is fulfilling his purpose. It caused me, as I, as I read this, to say, I can upgrade my confidence in that person. I can trust. I have every right to trust this person who is in so much control that he is writing history giving people the freedom to do what they would do, willful, against him, and yet he is the author of history, and he is writing his story, and they are just human beings, pawns, and he, he, he is the author. 
And so I would encourage you in the midst of your situation, especially in the midst of darkness, to say, I have every right in this situation to put my trust in you because you are faithful to your word. If you said it a thousand years ago, you will fulfill it. And he did it throughout the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection. So let's, let's confess our faith. Did you find it, Andy? Okay, let's confess it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Let's pray. Father, I would like to say to Jesus today, Jesus, if there is something that you have or that you need that I have, I'd like to give it to you. I don't want to withhold from you. I want to surrender myself, my thoughts, my resources, my body, my opinions, my pain, my destiny to you, Lord Jesus. And today I choose to upgrade my confidence in your ability to rule and when necessary to overrule to accomplish your divine purposes and to reign in righteousness, truth, and humility. I pray for my friends that they likewise on this great day of the resurrection can, can think of how it must have felt to Joseph to say as he went to the tomb a day or two or three later, Jesus rested here for a little while. And God used him to accomplish his eternal purposes. Thank you that you choose to use us. We are ready to be witnesses to your death and to your burial and to your glorious resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may need to go right away. That's okay. But if, if you're able to, it's 12 o'clock. If you're able to take even a couple minutes, just spin around. Two or groups of three, the most four. Just spin around.